it, it just causes me to tremble. There's a song called Tremble. That's what's really the heart of that song. It's like we, we, we are standing on holy ground because God is here. That's why this is holy ground. God is here with us. And I don't know, that just makes me tremble. And so today I approach God's word in, in trembling, knowing that, that God is here with us. And, and God wants us to, to understand and, and hear his word in a fresh way. Today uh, really is, is probably a, a passage that you've heard before. And so I prayed this week that God would give us fresh ears. He wants to give us something new today. So we find ourselves in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago, would have been a town of about 20,000 people. But where we find ourselves today, it was no longer a town of 20,000 people. Because it was the time of the first feast of the year in the Jewish calendar. And that feast was the Passover feast, the Passover festival. This would have been the time where all of the people of Israel would, would have been a, making, making a journey to Jerusalem to remember over a thousand years ago when God heard his people's cry. They were in bondage in Egypt. And he called Moses and Aaron to go. He called Moses to, to go before the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And this happened, remember the ten plagues, and the ten plague was the killing of the firstborn. And God told his people that they were to take an unblemished lamb, a spotless lamb, and they were to sacrifice it and take the blood and put it over the doorpost of their homes that the angel of death would pass over. And indeed, they did that. They, they got spotless lambs. They put it over the doorpost, and the angel of death passed over. And that was the last that Pharaoh's son was killed. That was the last of, of these things that, that God brought upon the people of Egypt and God through that released his people and gave them freedom from from bondage. And so God said, "Remember this that I have done through this festival, this feast of the Passover." So they had journeyed through. We find ourselves in Jerusalem. And I want you to get the picture, the sight and, and the smell of what's going on. I don't know. I, I like I like putting myself in in uh, God's word. Like this really happened. And so can you imagine a town of 20,000 people it's much like in, I was in South Dakota for six years. The town of Sturgis is a town of about 5,000 people. And in August, that town turns into a town of about 500,000 people. And that happens over a week's time, week and a half's time. Well, kind of the same thing happens in Passover. Like, it's, it's the festival everybody would go to. And they would go and make this, this journey to Jerusalem. And so that town of 20,000 people that we find ourselves in today is a town of Anywhere from 100,000 people to a million people, we don't really know, would make this journey to Passover. God's chosen people. Can you imagine a town? I don't know how big a town you grew up in. I grew up in Livingston, Texas, a town of 5,000 people. If there were a town of 5,000 people that turned into a quarter million, it would be similar to what we're talking to today. It would be crazy. It would be really, really loud. Early historians, early church historians would have said that, they have said that around... Not only do we have all these people, so if you do the numbers, around 250,000 sheep, lambs, were brought with them. Can you imagine the, the, the sights, but can you imagine the smell? That's what's happening. If you had a quarter million sheep, because every family was bringing a sheep with them as a sacrifice to remember, to reflect on on what God had done. And so as you turn to Mark chapter 11, we find ourselves in Jerusalem. 
And that is the picture. That's exactly when Jesus came with his disciples to Jerusalem. He came with these thousands of people and thousands, about a quarter million of sheep that Jesus came. If you rewind back to Mark chapter 1, we're in Mark chapter 11, verse 1 today, if you want to turn your Bibles here. If you rewind to, the, to Mark chapter 1, we find the baptism of, of Jesus by John the Baptist, right? And, and, and Mark kind of gives us the short picture. Matthew gives us even greater. When, 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 G, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say? He said, the lamb, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here comes Jesus among the sheep, all of these sheep being ushered in, and he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we kind of get the, the entrance, the connection to Mark chapter 1, and we get the beginning of the Passion Week in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. As they approached, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. And so this is a, that's a word for a, a, young, a young donkey, a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. And they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying that colt, and they answered, they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let, let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Can you see the picture? Here's this small donkey, never been ridden before. That's the word there, a young colt. And they put the, they put the cloaks over that donkey, and Jesus sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the ground. There must have been a hubbub in this moment. They were taking the, the valuable cloaks and they were throwing it on the ground before Jesus. And while others spread branches, they cut in the fields. We know through, through this, this passage, is actually found in all four Gospels, by the way. And we know that these are palm branches, not just branches. These are palm branches. All of these things matter as we unpack this text. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! And this wasn't like ten people. How many people was it? Well over 100,000 people here. Can you imagine 100,000 people shouting, Hosanna? That word literally, save us. God, save us. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Through this picture, through the snapshot of the beginning of the Passover week, now we call the, the Holy Week, I want to give you some object lessons, and just, just three objects. I know the first one's not really an object. It, it, it is an object, but it's, it's an animal. It's an animate object. So, so you have the, fir the first one is a burrow. It's a word for donkey. The second is a branch, and the third is a building. That's your three points today. Pretty simple. Burrow, branch, building. But I, I want to give you some, some object lessons from those three things 
out of our story here that we call the triumphant or the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And, and when people saw this, they saw that this was a special moment in history, that moment that they had been waiting for. The Messiah has come. Finally, our leader has come to rescue us from bondage. So they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. This is the moment that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. This is that moment. And in the midst of that, these three objects teach us profound truths. The first one object is the, the burrow, the donkey. What does that donkey tell us? He tells us to come to Jesus, go away better. Come to Jesus, go away better. If you look at the story, Mark always gives us an interesting look at the story. He's, he's not giving us a first-hand account. He's giving us Peter's first-hand account, right? So he's, he's, this is Peter's kind of the way he saw it. And so, so Jesus says, hey, when, this, is, this is happening. We're coming into Jerusalem. And to go and find this donkey that's never been ridden before, this unbroken donkey, and find it and tell them in verse 3, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. By the way, did I ever tell you about uh, the man that, that bought a donkey from a preacher? Did I ever tell you about that? Oh, let me remind you. I may have told you about this before. There was a man who bought a donkey from a preacher. And that, that preacher had spent a lot of time with this donkey, and he trained it. And he said, this is a special donkey. And so in order for, to get it to go, I've taught it to go when you say hallelujah. And I've taught it to stop when you say amen. So this is very important. The only way it's going to go is if you say hallelujah. The only way you're going to get that thing to stop is to say amen. And so, man, this man was so excited. And so he got on the donkey, and he tried it out, and he said hallelujah. That thing started to run. And he said amen. That thing stopped. And this, this, this donkey is the best donkey I've ever seen in my life. And so he went off, gave the money to the preacher. He went off with a hallelujah. And that donkey began to trot. And all, the, all day long, he rode that donkey. He was trotting and trotting and trotting. All of a sudden, he looked over a little bit, and, and there was a cliff. And he said, oh, oh no, I'm going the wrong direction. So he, he, in, in the midst of all of that, he said he couldn't remember the word, the right magic word for it to, to stop. And he said, so he said, he said, Bible. He said, church. He said, Jesus. And, and that donkey just continued. And finally, he said, I just got to pray. And pray in, the, pray in this moment. Say, Lord, would you stop this donkey before I end up dying, running off this cliff? In Jesus' name, amen. And the donkey stopped one step away from that cliff. And the man was flabbergasted. He couldn't say a word. And finally, he had one word. And it's the only word that he could say. He said, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, man. What can we learn from a burrow? Of all things, a donkey. We learn two things. That donkey says much about who Jesus is. And that donkey says much about who we are. So who is Jesus? What does this say? The traditional exposition of this text says, tells us who Jesus is. Because in, the, in those days, in the Middle Eastern world, leaders would, would ride horses as they rode off to war. But they would ride donkeys as they came in peace. And so when Jesus came, he came to give us peace. He came as a different kind of king. Yes, he was a king, but a different kind of one. And this was, of course, a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, which said that, that this king, the Messiah, would, would be righteous and having salvation, and he would be gentle riding in on a donkey. And so rather than riding to conquer on a horse, he came in riding as a king, and he entered as a king of peace. And so it says much about 
through our traditional exposition of this text, that Jesus rode in on a donkey. He came to usher in. He was the prince of peace. But it says much about who we are. As I thought about, like, well, how, could we, how could we unpack this in a new way? I thought about that donkey. I thought about what Jesus asked his disciples to do. And then what happened to that donkey in the midst of this experience? And so it says much about who I am. It says much about who you are and what God can do through us. Because in verse 3, it says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? It says, the Lord needs it, and he will send it back here shortly. But when that donkey came back, what was different about that donkey when the donkey was returned? Before it was given to Jesus, what was it? Completely unbroken. And it was just, it was just eat. I mean, what else do you use a donkey for? But then when it came back, it was completely broken. You would have been able to put a saddle on that donkey and you could ride it all day long. You see, there was a transformation. When that donkey was made available to Jesus, it came back better. And so what's the object lesson from a burrow? A donkey is to come to Jesus to go away better. What's happening here is the opposite of what happens when you give your stuff to your neighbor. I've done this. Rest in peace, steel chainsaw. (laughs) There's a story with that. But I won't tell it today. When you give something to Jesus, it comes back better. Give him a crab apple and he'll, he'll give back a golden delicious. Give him an acorn and he will give you back a mighty oak. If you look at the Old Testament, you see this over and over and over. Give him an Abram, a lost pagan, and he will give you an Abraham, a mighty man of faith. Give him a Jacob, a schemer and a trickster by nature, and he will give you back an Israel, a prince of God. Give him your Saul of Tarsus, a murderer, a mean, cruel man, and he will give you back a Paul, a mighty apostle of God. Give him a Simon, a weak, vacillating, impetuous man, and he will give you back a Peter, a rock for Jesus. Give him your broken, sin-scarred life, and he will give you back a new start, a new life, and a home in heaven. You see, give things to Jesus, just like that donkey. Those owners gave that donkey to Jesus just to borrow, and it came back, it came back better. And here's what, here's what the, the phrase that I was just given for me. This is what this means for me, it, this, that we are to be an open-handed people. That we are to be an open-handed people. Sometimes in worship, I think like, like we put our hands out like I do. I don't know about you, but like I like to raise my hands sometimes and like just move by the Spirit sometimes to do certain things. But sometimes it's, it's this. Sometimes this means fill my cup. But most of the time for me, this means, God, I, I just want to give you what I have. That, that's, that's the kind of people we are to be. And there's something special when we do this. Lord, take me. Lord, take it. And when we do that, we trust we trust that, that, that whatever we give will be redeemed. Whatever, whatever we give, even though it's not much, it's all that we have, it's not a lot, that, that Jesus is going to do, do something like miraculous and powerful with it. And when it comes to us, it's just, God, I just give you me. And it goes back to that phrase, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called, right? It's just, he just wants us. It's not about what we have and all the, all the expertise that we have. He just wants us to be an open-handed people. You see, this, this informs my living. I'm, I'm going to be an open-handed people, and I trust that God's going to use that. And this informs my giving. 
when I give here to Hope Church, man, this, this, I know that when I give, God's going to multiply that. He's going to do what he did in this store, like the, that this donkey was completely transformed and made such a difference. If you look at part of that verse 3, it says not only he will send it back here shortly, and they did send it back, and it was changed, it was transformed. But there's that phrase here in the NIV that I'm reading out of, the Lord needs it. If you have an old English version, it says, the Lord hath need of him. That phrase was interesting to me because it begs the question, does God really need that donkey? Does, Does Jesus really need that donkey to do what he's about to do? The answer to that is, I don't think so. He has everything. He has no need of us. A few weeks ago on Wednesday night, we did a Ask the Pastor night. And there were several of us on stage, they're pastors, and we gave our students the opportunity to ask any questions that they want. And we're going to do our best through Scripture to answer it. Now, that's scary. You know, we said, we're going to, whatever. Now, I had lots of questions, and they were various. There were some about Pokemon and some about noses. I won't go into those. But there was one question that a student asked. Sometimes our students are so deep and profound. They asked the hardest questions. And there was one student that asked this question. Why would God want us if he doesn't even need us? Hmm. That makes you think. Why would God want us if he doesn't even need us? Well, here's the answer. Love. Here's the answer grace. Here's the answer, choice. God loves us. And and it's a grace to give to us that he chooses us. It's his choice. He doesn't need me. Of all people, God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you, but he wants you, and he chooses you. And sometimes he chooses us, and he does what only he could do. He makes straight blows from crooked sticks, right? I'm just a crooked stick. I'm as wretched as you are, probably worse. But when I say this, God, I'm here, and what I have, I give you, that's something that he blesses. And that's what happens here. When we choose, when we choose to give what we have, something special happens. And when we choose not to, guess what? He uses someone else. I love in this story when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey. Jesus is the the only one that's seen. That donkey is just in the background, right? No one says, man, look at that donkey. That's such a cool, powerful donkey and gifted donkey. Look at that. No, they only saw Jesus. Jesus got all the glory. And that's the case when we give ourselves to, to, to God. Jesus gives all the glory, but then he uses us to make things better. I love that. A burrow teaches us, come to Jesus. And to go away better. For me, I had to think this week, like, what am I keeping from Jesus? Like, what am I keeping for myself that I'm not offering to him? That I'm not being living that open-handed lifestyle? Maybe that's a question for you today. The second object is a branch. And that teaches us that Jesus is the misunderstood and underestimated king. Jesus walked in 
And what, what happened when he came into Jerusalem, when he, when he rode and he walked and he rode in on that donkey? What did they do? They began to take their cloaks off and put them before him. And then they took the palm branches and put them, all, put them in front of him. Now, that's something that, that that's what they would do for kings. And so they saw something in Jesus. Like, here's our king. Here's what we've been waiting for. But it, it, those palms, for a Jewish person, they, they would have been putting those down for a specific reason. Because about 190 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem, the, it, we find ourselves in the history of God's people where they are in bondage again. They always had a bondage problem. The Israelites always had a bondage problem. They were in bondage to Egypt. That's why we have the remembrance of the, of the Passovers. They, they were in bondage to the Assyrians. They were in, bo- in bondage, if we go kind of Assyrians, if we go by chronological, Egyptians. We have the Assyrians, and then we have the Babylonians, and then we have the Greeks, and then we have or the Assyrians, then we have the Syrians, and then we have when Jesus comes to earth, it is who? The Romans, right? So they always have have a, a bondage problem, but 190 years before Jesus, they find, herself un, find themselves under the Syrian rule under a ruler named Antiochus. Antiochus was a, 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 a very, very mean man. He had killed tens of thousands of Jewish people and killed them in ways that we can only imagine, probably beyond what we can imagine. And it was in that, in that time frame that there was a man that rose up out of God's chosen people. His name was Judas Maccabeus. Or Mac, that's where the Maccabean time came from. And he led Israel in a revolt over Antiochus and the Syrian army, and he won. And so when he did this, he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And what were they doing? They were, they were placing palm branches in his path. Because they knew, like, this is a guy who led us in war, and he granted us peace. And he became known, Judas became known as Judas the Hammer. I love that. That's a strong name right there. Judas the Hammer. I like that. Not the lawyer here in Houston. Judas (laughs) the Hammer. Because he was strong. He led them in battle, and he won and gave them peace. And then Judas took coins, and and he stamped a palm branch on that saying, now is the time of peace. And so when people saw Jesus, they saw, they recognized that here comes our king. He's going to lead us in, in victory. And so, so they, they saw Jesus, but they didn't see Jesus. And it affirms the truth. We, we see what we're looking for. It's just a, that's a, such a simple truth. What they were looking for is a ruler, a king that would come and and militarily lead them just like the hammer did. Lead them and get them out of this bondage they were in to the Romans. Jesus was right there in front of them. Can you imagine the, the, the picture? Jesus was right there, the Son of God who left heaven and came to earth, got in the flesh, and he was right there, and they saw him but they didn't see him. And I think that's one of the reasons, just a few days later, that same crowd that was saying Hosanna at the top of their lungs was saying crucify him, crucify him, crucify him at the top of their lungs. They saw Jesus, but they didn't see him. The one they thought was going to claim his rightful throne just moments from then in their midst had come down from heaven, heaven's throne, 
and to meet them where they were at. But man, did they misunderstand who he was. Man, did they miss it. And boy, did they misunderstand, underestimate Jesus. May I just have a moment of honesty? I'm one of those people in that crowd. We are that crowd. So often in our lives, we have things that that we're in bondage to, things that we're dealing with that are tough, and we, too, misunderstand and we underestimate who Jesus is. Little rabbit trail. There's that passage in 1 Peter verses chapter 1, verse 5, and it teaches us to be careful of the devil, the enemy, Satan. It says, devil prowls around like a, like a lion. It says to beware of him because he prowls around and he's, he's, he's trying to take all these things from us. But, but he is, the, the phrase is like a lion. In other words, he's not a lion. He's, he's a pretender. And so, so it's be aware of him. Don't underestimate the devil but we can also say, don't overestimate the devil. The devil has a limit. And so whereas the devil, we are to, to that he's like a lion, we've learned from the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was the lion. He was the lion of Judah that it speaks of in the book of Revelation, that one who would come to restore and redeem not only a, a physical people, but, but all people and their hearts and to be the remedy for mankind's greatest problem, and that is our sin. And so don't overestimate the enemy, but let's be honest with our passage today. You can't overestimate Jesus. He is so big. And they they just couldn't wrap their mind around what was happening in that moment. They were saying, viva la revolution, and here comes our king. They saw this king, Jesus, but they missed what he was riding on. They were looking for the horsepower, and Jesus came with donkey power. He came instead, instead of having a crown of, of jewels as king, he just a few days later would be wearing a crown of thorns. You see, they misunderstood and they underestimated him. Instead of war, he came to bring peace. Instead of going to sit on a throne, he would lay just a few days later in a borrowed tomb. Instead of being king of Israel, he would, come, he would become king of our hearts. You see, a burrow and a branch teaches us so much. But there's that last verse, verse 11, a building. What is that building? A temple. This is a moment that, that I had to wrestle with. So Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He went to the temple. That's where all of those sacrifices would have, would have gone to. And he looked around at everything. Can you picture what was happening? Jesus looked around the temple. He looked around at everything. And then he went out to Bethany with the 12. So he looked around, and he just left. And you might say, wait a minute, didn't, didn't, didn't he do some stuff? That's coming. Okay, just wait for that. He did do some stuff the next day. We're going to get to that. But the first time Jesus entered the temple, he entered it, and he looked around. Okay, put yourself in that temple. Here Jesus, Son of God, is. he came into the temple, and he looked around, and he walked out. That's a moment that matters. He visits the temple, and there's a picture here. It's almost kind of anticlimactic. Like he's made this journey, enters the temple, and he just walks back out. But but there's something that's really significant here is that Jesus has come to accomplish what the temple could never accomplish. Jesus walks in, and he walks back 
out. What the temple pointed to from all of the time that it had been built, what it pointed to was this moment in time when Jesus would be the greater fulfillment. He would be the fulfillment of the promise of salvation. So from a building, we learn the lesson that is simple yet so incredible, that Jesus is greater. I'm just leaving that open-ended. Whatever you say in this world, Jesus is greater. He's bigger. He's better. Jesus is greater. It's in that moment that he turned away from that temple that, that, that we realize through him he's the only true and sufficient sacrifice that was made. And through him, all who believe enter the presence of God. If you don't believe me, go read this week a little homework. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 through 7. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, a little later on, says this, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, Jesus is greater. He came into the temple to show us that 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 the temple had been doing for all that time, he was about to do in completion. He's about to fulfill all that that temple had been pointing to for all of the time it had been built. And so the band's going to come up. How do we respond to this? Object lessons of, of, of a burrow and a branch and a building. There's an invitation today to experience Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe anew, as your triumphant king to experience him as, as the royal one, the, the, the king of all kings, as the, the, the one that those people were crying out for, the, the rescue one, the saving one, and as the greater one. And it's to announce to each other today, our response is to announce each, to each other today that we are in the presence of the king. <laughs> Back to that trembling. We are in the presence of the king. If the king of England were to come in today, we'd all, I don't know what we'd do, but we'd do something. But man, realizing that the king of all kings is with us, man, that should be something so much more. He is with us. Don't underestimate Jesus. He leads us in triumph. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives. We're caught up in this in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, there's the response. We are being led in this truth that Jesus is the greater one and he's leading us and we are like we talked about last week, we are following, we are following him and there's a picture that I didn't give as Jesus came in. Anytime there was a triumphant, in, in, uh, a triumphant entry of a ruler or someone who led in battle, there would have been a, a, some, some reeds that were, that were over them of flowers, and there would have been some burning of incense. So there would have been an aroma that came in that day. Maybe the aroma was the lambs. Maybe the aroma was the donkey because those certainly have an aroma. But there is an aroma with this, and that's what Paul says he leads us in this procession and then uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. And so it's my joy to announce you, to you today to the world that, that our king has come. Our rescuer has come. And we must answer the question today, would you let him lead you? 
Would you let him rescue you? I don't know what that means. Would you give him what you have? Like that that open-handed mindset. And would you acknowledge him today as the greater one? Because he certainly is. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming. And reminding us today that, that you are here. And you are almighty. You are our Messiah. You are our rescuer. And you are with us. Jesus, we thank you. And we want to respond today to to go and and to, to reveal who you are in us, the hope and the life and the joy that you've given us in our hearts we go in and we would represent that, that aroma that you've given us to God, that we would go and leave living and giving in line with your word today. In Jesus' name we pray.